Oh, I'll, I'll just move Craig. Oh, poor Craig. Oh, Craig. Goodbye, Craig. Goodbye, <laughs> Craig. They killed Craig! <laughs> they killed Craig! Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we dodge becoming eagle snacks as we rush to the cliff's edge in Leaping Lemmings. And next, we gather our zealots in favor of the Dark One to welcome the apocalypse in Eschaton. And lastly, we swap, bid, steal, and match in Bucks. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein. Good news, everyone. It's Eschaton time. I'm now accepting applications for the Dark One's favor. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and I think I would make an excellent addition to the Dark Lord's army. You'll find that I'm punctual, enthusiastic, and loyal to a fault. I look forward to being part of the team for the upcoming apocalypse. I'm Joe Unfried. It's already bad enough submitting resumes to 200 Dark Lords each week without having to deal with questions about why I want to work for them. I'm going into business for myself. Know any apocalyptic venture capitalists? Hi, I'm Ed Povalidin. And in my latest book, you can find 1,001 ways to gain the Dark Lord's favor. For example, as you read through my book, you'll notice the pages are coated with contact points. <laughs> Good one, you're hired! Uh. <laughs> hey Mike, do you want to know the top five game box covers that did not stand the test of time? Are there amazingly bad pictures? Of course. This week, we're premiering the news section of our website, where you can find out answers to burning questions like that and so much more. From articles by our panelists, to the hottest news in gaming, to the best games with the coolest meeples. Check it out today. And as always, please share, like, and subscribe anywhere you can. It really helps us grow. Thanks. Now on to the games. Our first game up this week is Leaping Lemmings, designed by Rick Young and John Poinisk. Published by GMT Games in 2010, number of players 2 to 6, ages 13 and up, runtime 10 to 15 minutes per player. Okay, when we put this game under the microscope, what were our first impressions? Mike? These lemmings have names. I hope that won't make tossing them off the cliff too personal. Evan? Yellow sour fruits. I like to slice them up and put them in my drink. Oh, wait, lemmings. Oh, well, that's different. Ed? Um... Why did the eagle have a fork and knife? Does he know something we lemming don't? And Joe, how about you? I can't wait to play the biker clan of lemmings. I hope we get to ride the choppers off the cliff in a blaze of glory. I can just imagine it now. Here we go. Here we go. Yes, I ducked that eagle. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it to the cliff's edge. Here it is. Jump. Whee! Now, now what? <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened to me. Hey, Evan, how's it played? Well, it's set in the Rocky Mountains near Waterloo, Montana, and Leaping Lemmings puts genetic scientists against one another as they attempt to get their clan of cloned lemmings to successfully scurry forward to throw themselves over the cliff, hopefully grabbing enough air in the process to impress the judges with their technique so that their final act will bring glory to their clan. Look out, there are two hungry eagles circling overhead. There's lots of treachery and trickery to beware and guard against. The top lemming in each hex is the only one that can move, but is also the one that's at risk for becoming eagle chow. 
Well, there's bushes to hide from the eagles, plenty of them, but also tasty pellets out in the open for those who are fast and brave enough. Yum. Today's race is set to begin. The clans are all staged in the start area. You are in command. Can you lead your clan to victory? We'll find out. Even though it's fun to play the lemmings, you're actually playing technically the scientists running the lemming groups, right? Right. And they're spending millions of dollars of uh, funding money to settle a $20 bet. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But the good thing is all of that has nothing to do with how the game is played or the end result. (laughs) Nothing. It's feasible that if if an animal has consistently displays a behavior that seems counterintuitive to human observers, it, it makes sense that that would attract more attention by scientists who are wondering, well, if we put them in a slightly different environment under different conditions, will they still and name them Kyle. do that thing? And name them Kyle. <laughs> or, um. And speaking of Kyle, let's talk about the names of the clans and the names of the lemmings. So all the lemmings are in different clans. And we run each run a clan. So what were the clans? Well, I was the soldier clan. Hoorah. I was the hippie clan. Yep. And I had the IQ clan. And Ed had the Ritz clan. And Joe, what was your clan? I had clan McDougal. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was another game. I had the biker clan. Oh my gosh, I actually thought there was a McDougal clan. Because that's how random the clans are in this thing. So, okay, so the clans had these big, rich themes, Ritz, Hippie, you know, it was was a broad theme. But then the names, the given names of the lemmings were completely generic. John. Yeah, Debbie. (laughs) Mike. Heather. And it didn't matter which clan they were in. They didn't sort of theme the names of the lemmings along with the names of the clans. What, Frank the Viking didn't make sense to you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the name, they were named by scientists in Waterloo, Montana. I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess the the scientists cared about the theme only to a certain level. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Or they ran out of time. They left that for the last task. Wait, we got to name these lemmings, but we got to get to production in two days. I just throw a bunch of names in there. It'll be fine. And it's going to be boring if we're just like lemmings one through 475. (laughs) But I did love the names of the two eagles, Steven Jr. and Ruby. I wonder what happened to the original Steven. I know. It did did lead me to think about that. Like, wow, Steven Jr., something awful must have happened to Steven. Or maybe this guy was too fat to fly anymore. Yeah, the uh, earlier experiments didn't go well at all for the lemmings, and some of the eagles actually retired on the amount of lemmings they ate. (laughs) So this game's layout starts with the basic hex map that GMT is famous for. And what did you guys think of the layout and hex design and also the components? I thought the the board was great. I think it was well laid out. It had nice spots for everything, the VP track, the the, the pile for the cards, places to put the the scoring lemmings, and, of course, an eagle shower pile. Oh, yeah. That's where all my lemmings ended up. (laughs) (laughs) I gave myself a one in six chance of being eaten, uh, and they'd still swoop down and eat me anyway. So all all but two of my lemmings ended up in the chow pile. Yeah, Dice really hated you this game. They really did. They always hate me. The bushes were spaced apart pretty well to the point where if you were really going to make consistent use of the bushes, it was a sacrifice in terms of speed. Yeah, which, of course, I didn't use at all. No, Um, I don't use the bushes. I forget about those bushes. We got to get to the cliff. Never mind the bushes. (laughs) 
What? The biker groupies were ton. Oh, that's a bush? Right. It was under Cynthia's hairy rump. That's why I didn't see it. Jeez. Yep. See, it's hard to see the bushes under no, these guys. Well, bikers don't exactly eat. Yeah, the bush should take up the whole hex. Yeah. Yeah, that, yes. No, I don't like any of that. It's actually genius. No, no, the key of this game is the pellets. The pellets are victory points. Some of them are, at Yeah, least. and they're out in the open, so you got to go for them. Yeah, but the pellets were stingy, too. Like, they range from two <laughs> victory points to as low as, effectively, a third of a victory point. You know, that's a GMT staple to be stingy with their victory. I thought they were actually pretty plentiful in the sense that I saw you guys had a lot of them and got a good number of points from them. I was spending too much time in the bushes, and therefore I only got like maybe one or two pellets the whole game. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't agree with your with your bush strategy there, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up getting um, four victory points worth of pellets, and I lost huge in this game. I had a good amount of pellets. But the way you can use the pellets, I thought, wasn't valuable enough. You can trade in your pellets for certain uh, bonuses, but I felt like uh, they weren't valuable enough to make it worthwhile for hunting them down like that. And I sacrificed a lot of lemmings to getting oh, those yeah. pellets. That's all you wanted was those pellets. You were like feverish for them. You almost didn't care about getting off the cliff. You're given some cards at the beginning of the game, and the more cards you retain, those act as victory points to the end count as well. And I only used one of my cards. Some of the cards I thought were just too funny not to use, like <laughs> pull my paw. Yeah, everybody scatters from the location <laughs> you're in. <laughs> I think another mechanic in the game I thought was interested in, uh, if uh, you go to hex and then somebody else lands on your hex, you can't move because you might find yourself at the bottom of a stack and your lemming is stuck there for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you're you're protected at the same time in a certain Kinda, sense. Kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah, if the eagle swoops by, he eats the top one. Right. <laughs> but if you got another lemming on top of you, you're pinned down in a bush. That's not the ideal place to be. You're, you are literally stuck until that other lemming gets, gets off of you. So frustrating. You have a stack of lemmings that you can put onto the board or move. So like your action during your turn could be put a new lemming on the board and move them the amount of spaces that the card flipped in. Yeah, but if you have to do that, then you're all the way back at the beginning. So if, you're, if your lemming near the end suddenly gets stacked... When you're so close to the cliff and then you have to start at the beginning, it's very frustrating. I did think that the hex map was the perfect way to have this straightforward movement across the board from beginning to cliff. I'm a hex map fan uh, as opposed to a square map fan. So that's, that's my bias. I always like hexes. The one improvement I would have made on this hex map is I would have made the bush uh, appear larger, take up the entire hex. When you put one of your lemmings down on the bush, it covers the bush, and then you lose sight of where the bushes are on the map. So they had to make those bigger. Yeah, I think a little border around that hex would have served well there. Yeah, or just fill the whole yeah. hex up with a bush. Yes. Yeah, or different shading. And a little more definition to where certain areas of the map begin and end. Because the eagles can only hunt lemmings in certain zones of the map, and the line was just not quite bold enough. I thought they were pretty bold. It even had a little bit of hint of the color of the eagle, too. But it did take me time. I had to pause and look carefully. And I shouldn't have to do that in a game where I'm racing to the edge. The edge is important because the, the closer you can get your lemming to the edge and then take your leap, the more points you will effectively earn for doing so. But beware, because you go to position yourself in order to get those large points, and then eagles or and other players and do things to you to stop you from doing that. Right, Celeste? Right, I, Mike? I'm super greedy, and I, that happened to me all day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Three times in a row. 
Yeah, that hurt. <laughs> and I had fives just waiting. Everybody gets a special card to start with that turns any number card into a five for them that turn. And I was just waiting to use it right at the edge of the cliff until that eagle swooped in and ate me. Yeah, Steven Jr. had a lot of kills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, He was. Oh he was an efficient eagle, Steven Jr. Maybe there's another science team observing the eagles. <laughs> oh. That's the next expansion. It's a, yeah. it's a whole a other game. paper. I think there's a team of lemming scientists uh, watching the eagles. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> the mechanics of this game are good. Everything works well. It just goes on too long. I think that the theme wears thin because of the length of the game. Everything in this game does seem to take twice as long as it should. They do have a shorter game variant where you can take out the twos and threes. And now where is that variant? Is it in the original rules? It is in the original rules as a variant. Could have mentioned it while we were playing, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we would take that long to take a turn. Really? Really, Ed? You didn't think we'd take that long? <laughs> really? I guess I should know better, but... Uh... Well, you know, if I'd known about the rule variant, I mean, I wouldn't have uh, complained at taking out the twos and threes maybe halfway through the game. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, explorers, get your shovels out. It's time to dig up or bury Leaping Lemmings. Joe? This game dragged for me. It made me envy the eagle chow. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm going to bury it. If there was a cliff around, I'd probably throw it off the cliff. Evan, how about you? Well, uh, yeah, the game is just as much about preventing others from scoring as it is about you trying to score. I like that. Uh, despite it's seemingly longer than necessary game time, I think there's still enough here going for it. So I'll dig it up. Mike? GMT makes excellent strategy games that are tight and well-balanced, which is perfect feel for the slog of war. But for me, it misses the mark for a game about lemmings swan diving off a cliff. Sorry, I got to bury this one. Ed? There's a lot to like about this game. It's light, it's funny, it's easy to learn, quick to play, and has many interesting decisions. Most important, it's a lot of fun. Dig it up. Yeah, I'm with Mike. I think it's too long for its theme. Uh, it became frustrating, not in a good gotcha kind of way, but in a tedious grind kind of way. <laughs> um, so I won't go so far as to toss it off the cliff, but I will bury it. Ed, where can you find this game? Uh, this game is available at some stores and some online shops, but you can definitely get it from GMT's website for about 35 bucks. If you have thoughts about Leaping Lemmings, let us know. We would love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is Eschaton, designed by Petrus Vaznelis and Adam Watts. Published by Archon Games in 2016, number of players 2 to 6, ages 14 and up, runtime 1 to 3 hours. When we shined a light on this find, what were our first impressions? Mike? This is the most goth-looking deck builder I've ever seen. Evan? If you like fluffy cats, pink hearts, and sunny meadows, you're playing the wrong game. Ed? And we must conquer and pillage in the name of the Dark One. Well, not so well, so he sees us as competition now. Hmm. Joe, how about you? It's the end of the world as we know it. Or would have known it. I'm certainly glad I don't live there. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> Evan, uh. as the world shatters and crumbles around us, tell us, how can we gain the favor of the Dark One? 
I'm scared. <laughs> Eschaton is a deck building strategy game set at the edge of the apocalypse. All players begin with the same basic cult deck and an equal presence on the realm map. As the game progresses, each player utilizes the evil influence of their existing cultist cards to initiate new cultists, relics, and fiends into their deck. Cultists have different specialties. Some are masters at arms, others strong wielders of arcane magics, and some provide even greater influence to recruit stronger members. In addition to enhancing their deck, Players will also battle for dominance over the territories on the map to gain special abilities and earn favor at the end of the game. Events and omens are revealed each round from a prearranged deck until the glorious apocalypse card is revealed, which destroys the world and brings forth the Age of the Dark One, of course. Whoever has earned the most favor of their resplendent new master wins, if such a thing can be called winning. <laughs> I don't know why cultists always think, I've won, the world has been destroyed, and I'll be eaten last by the Dark Lord. <laughs> I, I am the mint on the pillow of the Dark Lord. <laughs> so, I think we can establish that the theme did grab us. Yeah, it was definitely omnipresent in this game. The art was trying to look dreary and oppressive, and it accomplished its goal. <laughs> it did. I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> oh, I loved the art. It it was very compelling and set the theme super well. Suitably bleak. What did you guys think of the mechanics of this game? I thought it was a very well done deck building mechanic. They had four different attributes on the side of the card, and you execute each phase of your turn in order based on those numbers. Mm -hmm. So I kept things in order on a game that could be really chaotic because it was a deck builder and there was a map control strategy thing happening at the same time. I was very worried that it would be too much, but when they organized the symbology on the card the way they did, it helped keep everything in line. Yeah, it was great that turn order was represented right on each card by the symbology. You go top to bottom. Although I thought they could have been a little clearer. They used shields for everything with a tiny little symbol inside the top of the shield. Should have just done a different shape for each symbol that way. You know, you can reference it on the map really quickly rather than looking for that tiny symbol, especially among all the bleak art and dark colors. It seems like all four of those stats on each card uh, is something that you can choose to strategically concentrate on. I wonder if concentrating on only one thing, though, would end up costing you the game. Do you have to be balanced? I went a little too heavy on one of them, and because I was so curious to find out what was in the Mystery Arcana deck. And it was great. I got some good cards out of there, but overall, my overall strategy suffered from that. What do the four symbols represent? Well, the first symbol is your zeal, which is represented by chains, and uh, that allows you to draw more cards. You play your hand out, and... You look across the top stat, and you draw an extra card for each point of zeal you have. If you draw new cards that have zeal on them, you'll draw more cards for those, too. Chain in your deck. Instead of the original five, you could end up having, like, ten cards out by the end of your hand. And if they're really good, like you were doing for a little bit, you can chain your whole deck. Yeah, and and actually, the, the word chain is used in card games like Dominion, where you chain new cards. So I thought that was a clever symbol to use for that. Mm-hmm. Divination is uh, represented by a book that lets you look through the Arcana deck, and that's where you get all your fiends and your relics and stuff like that. That Arcana deck was huge. It was a big deck full of random stuff, and I could not <laughs> wait to dig into that. It was a crazy <laughs> amount of relics and stuff. 
Oh yeah, at one point I I drew 11 cards out of the Arcana deck, but I was only able to keep one because I didn't have the Scour ability, which lets you keep extra cards out of there. Oh uh, mm. yeah, that was sweet. Ooh. Yeah, you peek at a bunch, so you'll get a, a choice of which one you want, which I got some good stuff from. Yeah, you can get some ores and an Edicts out of it as well. Yeah, all kinds of interesting cards come out of there. And there are straight up victory points in that deck, so having the Scour power, which allows you to keep more cards, is really valuable. Yeah, that was my original strategy idea when I saw the game. I'm like, A, I want to see this mystery deck as much as possible, because uh, that's how I roll. Um, yeah. <laughs> but B, I, th- I was looking for cards that give me scour so I can keep a bunch of free cards out of there, because you don't pay any resources for those cards. You just take them. And they're not perfectly balanced. They're not all equal with each other. There's better cards and worse cards in there. Yeah. Uh, the next symbol you'll see on your card is a stack of gold that represents your influence. And that's how you recruit the known cultists that are available on the board. That was my favorite symbol. I really liked it because it allowed you to go shopping and find new cultists to put in your deck. I happened to be seated at the table where Ed had laid out all the cultist cards right in front of me. (laughs) So I was just sort of ogling them all game. So that symbol naturally appealed to me. It's a pretty useful one, too, because you can also spend the influence points to have a temporary ability that happens, like marching your troops an extra couple steps or um, or putting a plague on the board for other people. That march ability was really valuable because it's the one way to move pieces before the movement phase. And then it allows you more flexibility as to where you can place your cubes. And that leads us to the aggression stat, which is the last one. Um, Mm -hmm. So aggression accesses the cubes that are on the board uh, that help you to gain control over the different parts of the map. So it's used to move troops around, to recruit new troops, and to fight. It was very flexible what you could do there, but it wasn't confusing. It all seemed to go well together. I focused on aggression, and I don't think it was a good strategy But I don't think it was because aggression was bad. I just think you need to be more balanced in this game in order to uh, in order to win. So I'm going to march right in here. One One march. One march. That's all I need. Just one. I know. It is. Two, four, six, eight, (laughs) ten. (laughs) I'm going to just send one scout in there and then blast. Six. It, you did get a little greedy too, though. <laughs> you tried uh, near the end of the game. You started spreading your troops out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I was going for a map grab, but but Joe had already established dominance on the map, and Ed really hurt me uh, with his plague <laughs> early on, and that that really messed me up. Well, I was going for my one small little corner of the map when I saw a bunch of people go over there. It's like, well, I know one way to get everybody out of there. (laughs) 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 Then I moved out of that territory right after I placed it there. Yeah, he dropped a stink bomb and ran away. Um, (laughs) And it's funny, too, because uh, as you draw through the deck, uh, that's the time counter. Different events happen. And that same location, just very randomly, got plagued again later. Yeah. (laughs) Four... Influence, plague. Ooh, plague, yeah. Big fat plague in the old city. That hurts me more than anybody else said. I'm the only one who can't do jack about it. It was a very (laughs) plaguey place. It was a ground zero type of situation. But then Ed just saunters in and grabs the giant six victory points like at the last minute. 
11th oh, yeah. hour, he just walks right in. Oh, look at this wasteland. Yeah. I'll take it. Me and Thank Celeste you. were fighting over like a five victory point place on the other side of the map. And Ed <laughs> just sneaks his way in. Oh, six over here. Nobody's here. I was like, yeah, I don't want to go back to Plague City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it had been psychologically ruined Plague for us. City. It was. <laughs> but it still wasn't enough to get the, the victory points I needed to get past Joe. And Joe had solidly dominated the center. There was one mechanic I had a lot of trouble with in this game. Mikey, you know what it was? Oh, yeah. It was the, <laughs> it was the way that the first player marker passed around the board. Yes. Because at some points, you know, you go first, but then you end up like Having. you don't miss you don't miss a turn, but you it takes a long time for your turn to come back to you. Yeah. Essentially, you have to cycle through all the players twice once you've gone first. And that was just too long for me. I mean, yes, I will preface with I am a naturally cripplingly impatient person. So that was a difficult thing for me, but it felt like a really long time where I didn't have anything to do. I think that's the same problem you have with Leaping Lemmings. They use the same exact mechanic. But in Leaping Lemmings, I feel the game actually went on too long for the theme. In this, I don't think the game went on necessarily too long. I just think it took too long between turns. It's a way for them to try to balance the first player lead issue. Because, you know, for a person that continuously goes first every round is known to have an advantage in some games. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. I understand why they did it. It was it it just almost tanked this game for me. I wonder if there's a way to sort of fix it maybe just by having a really knowledgeable group who's going to be able to burn through their turns quickly. I'll kick it to go there. The way to fix the the long play time sometimes is to play faster. <laughs> There are four phases per, for each person's turn, though, so I could see how even experienced players might take a little bit long on their turn. Yeah, and Evan, I think you might have had a real real problem with this because it definitely does not meet your favorite criteria, which is everybody gets to play all the time. Oh, that is one of my favorite criteria. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, there's definitely not a lot of simultaneous engagement, but you are engaged with the other players when you look at the map and you see where all the cubes are ending up. But you really don't have many ways to interact with other players during your turn. There's no mm -hmm. like, ha-ha, there's a defense card or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's not yeah. even any bargaining. You can't trade stuff. So take your turn and wait, right? You can negotiate like you did. You like you interjected yourself a few times. Like, don't you dare go there or I'm going to come back <laughs> after you. I mean, there's a little bit of that. <laughs> that sounds more like a threat than a negotiation. Really. <laughs> I think the dark one would appreciate that type of negotiating tactic, though. Yes, but I'm not as pedestrian as to use that sort of grammar. <laughs> you say something more like, I will murder your people till the end of time. You don't say, don't you dare. Well, I, although that is better, Mike, I also, and, and on theme, you know, I simply laid out the consequences for doing certain things. That was polite of you. Thank you. i just giving you guys a heads up. Yeah, I thought it was courtesy. I think, I think one issue I had with the game, it was, um, although the art was nice, because of the darkness of the, uh, the background, it was sometimes hard to read or distinguish some text. Yeah, everything was gray and the text was in this like cursive and it was really small. So it was very hard to distinguish. And they put it in the same place as the flavor text would be sometimes, which is always, always a bad thing. 
And I think the uh, like the, even the rule book was using this uh, dark font. So I had a hard time reading the rule book unless I had like a bright light because it, it was like dark letters on dark gray paper. Yeah, we wanted to photocopy it to pass like a rule, a portion of the rules around to everybody, and it wasn't going to photocopy right because of the dark colors. I remember when we came across this game at uh, PAX in Philadelphia, it went right on the short list. Yeah, I was looking really looking forward to this one. Right, we picked this game up at PAX Philadelphia. Did you guys get a chance to talk to the designers? Yes, we spoke to them at length. Uh, I talked a lot about the art uh, and about the mechanics. The main guy, Adam, who was presenting the game, was super enthusiastic about it. He made me really want to play it. But it's like a three-hour game for us, so we had to put a special game day aside for it. Yeah, I'm always a little worried when boxes are three hours and thing. We might double that. So mm. <laughs> We have been known to double box times before. Easily. Okay, explorers, get your shovels out. It's time to dig up or bury Eschaton. Joe? This game's premise might be a downer for some people, but from a strategic standpoint, the card mechanics, the map, and the careful cultivation of followers all have critical parts to play in how the game shakes out. The replay value appears strong. Dig it up. This game is too good for oblivion. (laughs) Evan? My natural fear of Dark Lords, Apocalypses, and Armageddons (laughs) tend to get the better of me, so consider me paralyzed with fear, and I am unable to dig or bury. (laughs) (laughs) Is that why you decided to join his HR team? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Too scary not to. Ed, how about you? It's a deck builder. It adds an interesting layer of resources to manage. It has quests to complete and land to conquer. Trying to do it all may leave you with nothing. Dig this one up, lest the dark one notice your insolence. Mike? Strategic deck building, area control, and vicious cultists. What else do you need? I'll hastily dig this one up for the glory of my dark lord. The length between turns was almost a deal breaker for me, but the theme was compelling enough for me to want to try it again. Dig it up. Mike, where can you find this game? I found this game on Archon Games' website for 60 bucks. And they have an expansion, Eschaton, Sigils of Ruin, for 30 bucks. Ah, the dark gets darker. <laughs> <laughs> if you have thoughts about Eschaton, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is Bucks, designed by Charles Phillips. Published by News Cool Inc. in 2004, number of players 2 to 7, ages 10 and up. Okay, when we brush the sands away from this game, what were our first impressions? Mike? It's got a sweet vacuform insert and a bunch of odd-looking poker-esque cards and chips. Let's do this! Evan? I've got an idea. Let's see if we can stuff 2,000 poker chips into a container designed to hold 200 of them. Fun! (laughs) Ed? Cool bunch of poker ships. Yeah, some odd colors, though. Silver and gold mixed in with the white, red, and black. And Joe? The shape and color patterns of the cards and chips look intricate enough to make the game complex, especially under time pressure. Bucks, spelled B-U-X, a Google-smart name for your gambling game. (laughs) The perfectly felt green background on the cover had me ready to count my poker chips. But before we deal the cards, Evan, tell us how it's played. All right, it's Bucks time. In this game, players are looking to build three card sets. Players place their cards face up in front of them for all to see. Each card has a suit, a club, heart, diamond, or spade, prominently displayed in the center of their card, and they also have a shape. 
an X, oval, square, or circle displayed behind the suit. On your turn, you have the choice of doing one of three things. Draw three cards and put them up for bid, force another player to swap one of their unprotected cards, or cash in any number of three card sets for chips. The sets have different values based on how well they match. Players can match just suits or shapes, but if they match everything, that's where the big bucks are. Yeah. yeah. It is really hard to match suits and shapes, though. How many times did you guys get a chance to do both? One time for me. I did it twice, and I had four more sets that were ready to cash in. So what happens is if you're able to match your suits and your shapes, three cards will earn you $500. I guess they're dollars, right? 500 bucks. Celeste, at one point, you had about 15 cards in front of you, yeah. none of them, you know, matching in both those in, yep. in both those respects. You, you, you did cash them all in. And I think for those 15 cards, you got about $600 or so, right? I know. <laughs> yeah, I ended up getting $500 twice for just three cards at a time. Meanwhile, yeah, I cashed in an army of cards for nothing. So, yeah, if you can match both the suits and the shapes, that is the biggest bang for your buck by far. Yeah, because otherwise, the most they can be is about 300 because most are worth 100 each. But yeah. sometimes they're only worth 50 or 25. Yeah, they have individual values on the backside of the card, and that's how much that card is worth when you cash it in with a set. So you just add the three numbers up, and that's how much you get for cashing the set in. Right. If you don't have a perfectly matching set, which gives you an automatic 500. You get to disregard the values on the back and just get 500 bucks, which is way, way better. And that's where the bidding plays an important role. The better you are at bidding for these cards and knowing how to value your bids, the better you're going to be at this game. I will bid a solid five on that, Ed. I have to at least go 10 on that. Uh, 50. That's all your money. Then you're going to have to just get lucky. And... Oh, what are the, yeah, how what much are, are the they worth? Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. So the bid is 50 for Celeste. Now I regret it. <laughs> yeah, I think I collected a good amount of money just letting people buy my card for 200 bucks. It's like, oh, well, I mean, I'm not going to be able to match them. I might as well take half the value if someone matches them perfectly. Yeah, knowing in your head how to value your sets and your bids and the cards that you're offering for bid is huge. So there's like two layers plus the bidding. It was interesting. It was abstract and interesting. I don't know. To me, it looked like an interesting poker variant. And I was really excited about that. But it wasn't. It was a crappy set matching game. It was definitely had nothing to do with <laughs> poker. And and I, yeah. I get that. I get how you could be misled. Because it does have a beautiful <laughs> box cover that absolutely looks like it's going to be a casino game. Oh, definitely. This thing screams casino. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with any casino game. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, it had the it had the card suits on it. The red chip was the most valuable chip. Yeah, I had the same problem. The chips were all weird values. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. If you're a poker player, these chip colors that this game has, which is unique, is going to mess you up. Oh, yeah. I do agree that this game would have been better off with standard poker chip colors and the value amounts that the poker chips were worth printed on the chips themselves. That would have made the game a lot, a lot better. Because uh, the red chip was worth 1000 and you only get that if you cut, cut uh, two perfect sets. 
If it was 500, that app would have been useful. Every time you do a perfect set, get one red chip. Ooh. But also, red chips are usually five bucks at the casino, and they were worth you know a thousand here. They could have used purple. The standard poker colors have been out there forever, and using yeah. the standard poker colors, I think, in this game would have helped a lot of people absorb the game quicker. I agree. There's also a problem for me where you have a few potential actions you can take each turn, but once you get enough cards, most of the cards start becoming safe. I loved that. The protected cards part was really interesting to me. It was okay until you realize that now it cuts my actions on my turn down because everybody's cards are protected, so that's not even a potential action. I agree with that. I think once once you have a couple of hands of cards, uh, it's like everything you have is protected, and that, that feeling element kind of goes away. Okay, so what's out there? This is a circle. This is a club. Neither one of these are protected. I have a heart square and a diamond deck. What's unprotected over there? Nah, <laughs> figure it out yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah, because we like to stretch the game out. I, I pointed stuff and you say, no, that's protected. I know. Well, that's like, like... I don't know. I mean, I always felt like there were some that were available and I actually appreciated the limiting of my choices, you know, just made it a little bit simpler for me to get my turn done. One of the things I liked about the game, or rather the players who played the game with me, is that they so nicely arranged their cards so that they put the certain pile over here for the ones that were not protected versus the ones that were protected. And I really <laughs> appreciated that. However, I took a little bit of a different strategy. I messed all my <laughs> cards up and kind of put them over each other and in different places and shapes in order to help confuse people so they couldn't <laughs> tell which ones of my cards were protected and which ones weren't. Mission accomplished. I was very confused. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on. All's fair in love and bucks. Yeah, there's, there's nothing in the rules that says you have to organize them. Yeah, you're not allowed to mislead your opponents when you play cards. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk a little bit more about the components? I know we mentioned the chips already. That green chip holder in the center, the card holder oh, and the chip holder. What a terrible design for a chip holder. Made from the same material that they make those St. Patrick's Day green hats out of, those plastic <laughs> things that kids wear. It was weak. But all, but I think the biggest problem was, and go ahead and say it, Mike. Oh, my God. So the, <laughs> so the insert was supposed to be to hold your chips, but it was bowl-shaped. So you couldn't stack your chips neatly in there to like access them. Instead, you just crammed them into this messy bowl. And so you had a mess of chips in the center you're supposed to draw from. Yeah, there just wasn't enough space in there. Oh, there was enough space. I put every single chip in that stuff. That's right. Thing. After we had a 10-minute <laughs> argument about no. chips. Yes. <laughs> it looked like they stacked nicely on the side, but apparently people wanted to put them in the bowl. Well, because the rules said put them in the bowl. It did say <laughs> that. Even though they had spaces on the sides of the board where chips would stack. And that's where they actually came when you opened the box. That's where they were in the side. If you go to BucksTheGame.com, it actually says in the official rules section, discard the rules in the box. What? These are the most <laughs> updated rules. Are you and kidding they, me? Nope. They like you to use the rules on the website, which I kind of appreciate. What would differ in the new rules? I think they're just clearer. Remember, we had some questions about the way the rules were written. This yeah, has more charts and pictures to show you how to set up the game. And clearly the game designers also had some questions about how the rules were written. Hence the errata. <laughs> the reason this game ended up on the Witch Game First table was because I found a brand new shrink-wrapped copy in a vintage store, and it was signed by the designer. 
And so I, I couldn't resist. So somebody gave up a signed copy of this game? To Teresa. <laughs> Thanks for playing, Sam. I'm glad they did because I never would have gotten it otherwise. And <laughs> so it's numbered. My game copy is number 258. Oh, wow. It's time, explorers, to dig up or bury Bucks. Joe, how about you? Well, at the very least, it's a new and exciting way of playing and bidding with cards. It didn't knock my socks off, but I do think it's worth digging up. Ed? Collect cards for the big sell later or sell them now for quick cash. This game is okay, but I think there are better card games and better auction games. So I'll just lightly bury it under a couple of other games I'm waiting to play. Mike, how about you? I pushed in all my chips for a unique poker strategy game, but it missed the flop. Bury this before you go bust. <laughs> Evan? I can still hear the clanking of those plastic chips ringing in my head, which I'm going to call the Bucks effect. <laughs> now, despite that, <laughs> the game's easy to learn, easy to play, and we had fun, so let's dig it up. A social unique bidding game with attractive cards that doesn't go on too long. Dig it up, of course. I saw this game available at BucksTheGame.com for 25 bucks. If you have thoughts about it, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from the show, including exclusive episodes, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter Today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating, a review, or subscribe. Join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First, and Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Follow us on your favorite social media. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Happy gaming, explorers. This was fun. I think we should do it every week. Yeah, this was awesome. What were we doing again? I can't tell you how much I enjoy doing this, and it's a pleasure to have met so many creative, talented people. Awesome.